0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Lori. Um, If we haven't met, then that's that's who I am, just so you know. Uh, My name is Pastor Lori. I'm excited to be teaching this week. It has actually been a little bit since I have been able to do that with us bringing on live streaming. I have had a lot of other responsibilities in the back of the room on Sundays. And so I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning and standing in this position. So hopefully you guys are excited, too. Hey, I got a question for you. Who here is excited about summer? It's a shame that I didn't get to ask that question before the kids left the room because I know that they would have screamed, I'm sure. I love the summer. And if you know me at all, you already know that about me. I love almost everything about the summer. I love the beach. I love being in, on, and around the water. I love family, extended family time, vacation. I love even the heat. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But I do. I'm a South Florida girl, and I don't mind the heat. The humidity is a whole other topic, but I do not mind the heat. I also love that our city, the whole city's vibe just seems to change in the summer. Don't you think? The kids are out of school and traffic is usually just a little bit lighter and it feels a little bit slower paced, um, a little more relaxed and easy. I mean, unless you work in ministry and that's a whole other thing. But still, I love the summer. And for the past several years, another thing that I have really loved about the summer is the way that our church has planned a teaching series that spans the whole summer and, and sort of takes into account that more relaxed and easier feeling, a little bit slower pace uh, that comes with this season. And this summer is no different. I'm really excited about the summer series that we have planned and have already started now called Faith That Works, where we're going to be sitting with the book of James, which is actually found in the New Testament near the very end of the Bible, as a matter of fact. Now, just because I want to be clear, just because we're saying that summer brings a more relaxed pace, I don't want that to let, for you to be fooled of what that means about this book, because it's actually a very rich text filled with a bunch of pretty direct truth-filled one-liners. Lots of scripture that you can memorize from, from James. It's easy to memorize. Lots of people use quotes from James as, as, uh, for different circumstances. So I encourage you as we go through this series to really dig into the text. Read ahead if you want to. We'll, we'll, we'll come back and we're going to go through the whole book. Now, I want to go take a minute and just uh, go over a couple of the reminders about some of the things that Pastor Mike mentioned in our first week of the series, actually. And the first thing is that this book of the Bible is actually written as a letter. It's a letter that was written not to a specific church like you find in other parts of the New Testament, but it's actually written to all Christians, which is essentially means that it was written to us as well. The, the truth that's in here, you can put yourself in the position of hearing this as someone reading it to us or writing it to us, I should say. And this, this letter doesn't really offer any new revelations or theological ideas, but it is intended actually to remind Christians of the truth that they already believe, but may not actually be living out. Now, again, that makes that pretty relevant to Christians today, don't you think? I mean, how many times have we as Christians been accused of our actions not necessarily lining up with what we say we believe, right? I heard Chris laughing there, yeah. And that's what James is addressing in this letter. So maybe we can take some solace in just knowing that at least we're in really, really good bad company. Right so far in this series, we've taken a look at the first 12 verses of James. Uh, of chapter one. And if you remember back in week one, Pastor Mike confessed that he actually stole some of the verses from the end of chapter one and discussed them in that first week. Listen, those were his words. He said that he stole them. He made a confession to you. So I'm reminding you that that's what he said. Because we're not gonna cover some of the verses at the end, even though we're going through this in, in order, we're going to not touch on some of the verses at the end of the chapter today because Pastor Mike already talked about them. There's still, with what's left in chapter one, is plenty for us to talk about, so don't worry. Now, last week, Pastor Mike talked to us about trials and suffering, and specifically, he talked to us about how we're supposed to stay true to the teachings of Jesus as we respond to those trials and sufferings that happen in our lives. And today, we're going to pick up where we left off and start at verse 13. We're going to go through verses 13 and 18, like you heard Dan read. And in these verses, we're going to take a look at what James says about some of the things that God does not do, and also some of the things that God does, and what that means for us. So if you'll follow along with me, I'm going I'm to start with reading the first couple of verses that Dan just read a minute ago. This is from James 1, uh, verse 13 through 15. You can follow along on the screens. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, again, just prior to this section of scripture, James is addressing that there will be trials and times of sufferings throughout our lives. And these things will absolutely test our faith in God. But James is making a point here to say that those trials are not the same thing as the temptations that come to us. He's making it very clear that when you are in a trial, you feel tempted you may feel tempted but that is not from God James is acknowledging that when we are suffering we can easily be tempted to make wrong choices and when things in our lives are hard one of the very first temptations we face as humans is the desire to look for someone or something else to blame can I get an amen me too me too We can look all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to see that story playing out, right? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And neither one of them took any responsibility for their own actions. Again, we're in really good, bad company. And James is saying here that if we are being tempted and are suffering because we've given in to temptation, then we, need, we may need to look that as a, at that as a consequence of our own actions and as a result of our own sinfulness. It's always easy to find someone else to blame for whatever hard thing that we're going through. But the harsh reality here is that sometimes... The challenge we're facing, the thing that's caused our very suffering is the consequence of our own actions. Now, I want to be clear here and, and, that's, and say that that's not always the case. There are absolutely senseless tragedies and hard things that happen in our lives that didn't result from anything that we did, any, any decision that we made. But if we are really, really honest with ourselves, we can look at the hard circumstances we're facing, and we can usually trace them back far. If we trace them back far enough, they will take us back to a decision that we made for ourselves. Am I right? A decision that was likely based on something that we wanted when we wanted it without regard to the real cost. One of the first temptations will always be to look at someone else to blame without taking a look at anything that we may have done to get us where we are. And that temptation is not from God. God can absolutely use a trial or suffering in our lives to mature our faith. We talked about that last week. But he will not tempt us to blame him or someone else, and he will not tempt us to turn away from him or deny him in any way in those hard times. This is another very common temptation when we're facing trials and sufferings, the temptation to run from God instead of to God. And we're tempted to do that because of our own sinful pride, thinking that we can find the quick fix to the thing that's hurting. Maybe maybe it's something like this. My car is older and it needs some things fixed on it. But instead of getting it fixed, I'm going to go out and buy a new car that I really can't afford. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and solve this, this problem and get what I want when I want it. That'll make me feel better. Or maybe I'm uh, frustrated because my boss doesn't really appreciate me and all that I'm doing right now, so I'm just gonna start slacking off and calling out when I don't feel like going in. That is what seems fair to me. Or maybe, or maybe this situation, maybe I just feel really lonely, so I'll just go look for any relationship I can find, even if I know it really isn't good for me and it will only lead to pain. God can and does use the hard times that we're facing, those challenges found in the first part of each one of those scenarios. But God does not tempt us with the response of the second part of those those statements. We, We do that all on our own. And it's not even the temptation that's the sin. It's our response to the temptation that can become the sin. We can read in Matthew chapter four that Jesus himself was tempted by the devil, but Jesus didn't give in to those temptations. He had been fasting for 40 days, but he didn't turn the stones into food, even though he, was, he had to be hungry. The thing is, he knew the source of the food that was being offered, so he knew to run away from it. And the reality is we usually know too, right? Right? As Christians, we have been given the tools that we need to recognize a temptation in the midst of our trial and to not give in to the temptation. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have literally all that we need to resist the temptation. We get to and should cry out to God in those hard times and then trust him for the answer. Now, that doesn't mean that God gives us the answer that we wanted to get. It takes spiritual discernment or wisdom to see the hope within our trials. The reality is that dangerous opportunities always, always, always exist in our times of suffering. And there is also a sinful desire to disobey God or to hide from him when we're in pain. And we may not like the fact that we have the capacity to sin, and we may not like taking the responsibility for our actions, but wishing that it wasn't so doesn't make it so. The truth is, temptations require our cooperation to go along with them. And that's why James here talks about the capacity for sin that exists within us, because he does not want us to be fooled. He doesn't want us to kid ourselves. Our actions are the result of our character, and our actions also shape our character. And this is what James means when he tells us in verse 15, that desire gives birth to sin, and then sin leads to death. Our sin will always lead to death of some sort. Sin can lead to nothing else. There is literally no other fruit that it knows how to make. Fig trees make figs, apple trees make apples, and sin makes death of some sort. It's the only thing it can produce. But the good news, the really good news is that God loves us and did not leave us to that death from our sin. Right in the next verses in James, it says this. Picking up in verse 16, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. In these verses, we see the true character of God and we see also his desire for us. God is the ultimate source of good and the universe and he never changes. When we are facing the trials in our life that are for sure going to come, we have to remember that God is trustworthy and he is good and let that sustain us when we're in the middle of it. Now, I wanna talk for a moment about those good and perfect gifts that are mentioned here because we as humans tend to define good as the things that we agree with or want and we think that's the way God defines it too. And that, my friends, is just not so. And that thinking forces us to demand to know the reason for and the answer to anything that's going wrong in our lives. It's our ignorance, and more importantly, it's our arrogance that makes us try to define what good is instead of letting God define that. God's definition is oftentimes very different from ours. When we define good from a human point of view, then then when anything goes wrong, anything that we perceive as bad happens, it causes us to question the very character of God. So we need wisdom and insight from him in order to see difficulties for what they really are. And that can only come from trusting in him, trusting that he is who he says he is. We have to know God in order to trust God. Temptation can come from many different places, including through our own sinful desires. But James is making it clear that temptation does not come from God. So you will be faced with hard times. You will be faced with temptations. So how do we battle the temptations when they show up? First, don't try to battle it alone. If you're facing a difficult time and you're feeling tempted to make a wrong choice to avoid pain or to fast track yourself out of that trial, invite another Christ follower into that hard thing with you to walk beside you. We talk a lot about that, about doing life together here through connecting through groups and connecting one on one with other believers. When we're in the really tough times, we have a natural tendency to make wrong choices, don't we? We can't always trust ourselves or our thinking, which likely got us there to begin with. Have you ever, ever noticed when you are being tempted in some way and decide that you want something really bad, that all of a sudden God really wants you to have it too? We cannot trust ourselves. We cannot always trust our instincts. A lot of the time, they're the result of our own sinful desires. So don't try to walk through the hard thing yourself. Don't try to face those temptations all by yourself. Another thing you can do is plan ahead. I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest with each other. Most of the time when we're facing a temptation, we know what the right thing is versus the wrong thing to choose. The difference is that sometimes we're just not strong enough in the moment to admit it. So if you know you're going to be tempted in a certain situation, then avoid that situation if you can. First and foremost, don't plan to put yourself in a, in a position that you may not be strong enough to handle. If you know that you can't afford to shop, then don't log on to Amazon for goodness sakes. Come on. That's, that's going to make you feel better for a minute and a half and maybe not even that long. If you know you have a tendency to self-medicate with alcohol when things are hard, then maybe don't plan to go to happy hour with your buddies after work. That in and of itself is fine. It's okay. But not if you are not strong enough to recognize the difference between temptation or, or what's right and what's wrong. Don't put yourself in a position where you have to force yourself to be strong when you're not sure if you can be. Another thing that you can do is pay attention to the small things. It's the small sins that generally lead to the big ones at some point. We don't always just jump off the giant sin cliff, it's more often like a slow slide down. Maybe it's just a little lie to others or to yourself that leads to a bigger lie. Pay attention to those small behaviors and ask that person that you asked to walk with you through the hard time, ask them to watch for those behaviors too. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to speak truth to you in their love for you. And then trust them, not your own instincts. And the last thing I would encourage you to do is to trust and know God and his true character. We have to know God in order to trust him. So get to know him. Spend time exploring his character. Spend time with him through prayer and meditation on his word. Talking about him, exploring him through Bible studies with other people in your growth groups. Who do you know God to be? What does the Bible say about who he is? Look at your own history with him and and let that remind you that you can trust him. Look at past things in your life to let them remind you that God is good, even if you don't see it in the midst of the trial. It says in 1 John that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God doesn't change and he never will do anything to you that is evil evil or destructive for you. God want wants what is good for you, but he defines what is good. Our battle with temptation largely comes down to what we really believe is good, God or this other solution that we found. We have to trust the character of God, especially when we are the most afraid, the most angry, and feeling the most hurt. That's when we are the most vulnerable to temptation. When we understand who God is, then we can better understand what he does not do. He does not tempt us to make wrong choices or blame others for our decisions. And we can also, when we know him, We can better understand what God does do. He loves us. He is with us, his word tells us. He uses the trials and the suffering in our lives to draw us closer to him, not further away, closer to him, to strengthen our faith in him, to make us feel safe and protected even when the world around us is swirling. He loves us. He forgives us. And every good thing that we have ever been given has come from him. The very one who created all the lights in the heavens, the verses says, James goes on to say, God never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. We only have to explore it to know who he is and to trust him. And we, it goes on to say, we out of all of his creation became his prized possession. Think about that for just a moment. Out of everything that God created, all of the things that we see, he chose us to be his prized possessions. If that doesn't overwhelm you, my goodness, maybe I need to say it again. I don't know. Do you understand that that's how God sees you? And that's how much he loves you. And that's why he doesn't tempt you and force you to make a choice of, of, of something that, to give you the control. He doesn't put a temptation in front of you to test you in some way like that. That's not who God is. That is incredibly good news for me to hear. I think the hardest part is letting it sink in and letting us believe about ourselves how God sees us. And so today as we enter into a time of communion, which is a time where we are supposed to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, a sacrifice that he made because of his great love for us. Because we, out of all of his creation, are his prized possession. Say it with me. We, out of His all his creation, are his prized possession. During this time, I'd, I'd like to just invite you to allow yourself to feel the overwhelming truth of that statement and to feel the overwhelming love that God has for you. I want to invite you to try to grasp the greatness of his love by focusing on all that he gave for you. I invite you guys to pray with me. God, we pray that you will still our minds and quiet our hearts in these next moments as we approach this communion table today. Help us grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Continue to pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks for it. And he broke it, In pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. Until he comes again. There are stations at the front of the room with individual communion servings. I would invite you guys to come as you feel led. The table is open.